Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. So I'm very excited to welcome my guest today to Recruiting Trailblazers. Robin Thornton is the director of TA at Seekout. She's got over 20 years of TA experience, and she was previously the director of TA at Big Fish and has also managed recruiting teams at Nordstrom. She's based in Seattle and has a BA from the University of Washington. So welcome to the podcast, Robin Thornton. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Great to have you on here. We've been talking about doing this for a few weeks. You're based in Seattle, and uh, I hear it's a balmy 70 degrees there today. <laughs> balmy, yes. It's it's quite yes. comfortable. Uh, we can see the, the trees already changing. Oh, it's a beautiful place. Unlike Silicon Valley, where I'm sitting, where it's going to be 107 degrees today, all good fun. Anyway, let's get on with the podcast. It's great to have you on. Um, you actually have an agency background before you got into in-house and ultimately leadership on the internal side of recruiting. What was the biggest challenge you faced when you were switching from an agency to internal positions? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I actually started in-house and decided to go into agency to see what the, the pain points were and make sure that my background was uh, diverse. And when I went into agency and then back into in-house, uh, I could definitely feel the challenges <laughs> when you're in an agency capacity, not having as much access to your hiring leaders, and you have to get it right. You have to make sure that your candidates are spot on immediately. Um, otherwise, you're not going to be successful and it's your bread and butter um, versus going back into in-house where you do have a little bit more, um, it feels like a little bit more influence when you can work directly with your leaders and um, help them understand, you know, from a value add where these candidates could fit if they're not at the current role, if there's aptitude and potential. Yeah, indeed. And it's funny because, I mean, it, what you're saying is it feels like when you're internal that you're all batting on the same mm -hmm. team mm -hmm. as opposed to when you're working for an agency. Sometimes it does feel like your client is the enemy because they're not always betting on you to win. And I, I think the challenge for agency recruiters today is to turn their clients into what would seem like an internal client and to have that level of partnership, because it's much harder to, to sort of make that level of partnership happen as an agency recruiter than it is when you're internal. It is harder, although you know, part of it too is if you can establish credibility and trust with your in-house team as an agency recruiter, you can be lock looked at as an extension of your in-house team. And it just comes down to how much you do your homework, how much you, you know, value the partnership between agency and in-house as opposed to looking at adversarial differences. It can actually go to your benefit. And so any agency that I work with now I look at them as an extension of the team and it helps us, um, all of us to win. That's great. And I encourage agency recruiters who don't have that level of partnership with their clients, you know, to look in the mirror and say, is this the kind of organization we want to represent? 
Because if they're not fully empowering you with all the information and allowing you to push back to really sort of widen the net yep. um, and not have to go on that hunt for the perfect candidate, then, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to, to work on behalf of a company that you can really be a brand ambassador right. for and with whom you feel that sort of deep level of partnership. And that's obviously what you get as an internal recruiter, right? But I also think, I mean, when I was on the agency side, one of the things that I did seek to do was, um, you know, it's not just about getting access to the leaders. I think most agency folks will try to get around your in-house partners because you think that they're going to stand in your way. The trick is to be able to say, I get it. We are all recruiters. We, <laughs> Whether you're an agency recruiter or an in-house recruiter and, you know, building inroads with them as opposed to going around, it definitely is to your advantage as an agency recruiter. But it's just sometimes a lot harder to get that level of access because of the way that agency recruiters, well, I'm really talking about contingency agency recruiters sure, here. Sure. The way they're viewed by internal teams, you know, as as a resource who might be able to come up with somebody who's suitable for the for the role. Sure. As opposed to, you know, a partner who is committed to delivering upon, you know, that requisition. Right. I think it's all just trial and error, right? I think yeah. ones on the agency side that do it well are committed to the the culture of the teams that they're supporting and have that empowerment. Uh, I think that, you know, it really depends on how strong they show up um, on either side yeah. in terms of, of building those bridges. Uh, yeah. One of the hardest things is when you have an in-house recruiter who is not time stamping when agencies do submit candidates. And one of the things that we honor is, you know, having an ATS or a system that will make sure that any candidate that's submitted is, you know, credited to the right place. And I think it's all about, from an agency perspective, it's all about having the courage to go in there as a consultant, not just a recruiter, that's right. and help your client understand what the market looks like and what's available out there and try and get mm -hmm. away from the perfect candidate. That's right. And look at, you know, today, this is who is available and suitable. This is what we're going to produce a slate of candidates through our research and our outreach and our conversations. We're going to produce a very good, strong slate of candidates who are available and suitable today. And that might not be the perfect candidate, but that's, you've got to get them sold on that process. Okay. Well, let's move topics here for a second, because one of the bigger topics that is on the tip of my tongue always here on Recruiting Trailblazers is the concept of company culture, you know, what it is and how it's used. And I've always called it the biggest mover of people. What's your definition of like company culture? Sure. I actually think that TA shouldn't define, it should be, uh, you know, I think sometimes people and culture ends up falling within HR um, but my definition would stem from how you treat people internally. How do you, how do you value them? How do you, sh uh, show compassion and empathy and make sure that people do feel like they can bring their best selves to work and recognizing and have gratitude, recognizing, uh, small wins along the way and big wins too, but it does go a long way. And one of the things that I really love about where I work now at Seekout is that every Friday we do have an all hands where the first, you know, 15 to 20 minutes we show gratitude for each other. And it's to the point where, I mean, it really does show people that 
they feel uh, connected. And some people have chosen to even share personal stories because they feel a safe place. I've actually seen studies and the results of studies that show that appreciation is one of the biggest drivers of engagement and re-engagement. Yes. And when people feel fully appreciated, then that actually helps people resolve their position in the company and feel so much more empowered to do the work that they're there That's to right. do. I think appreciation can go a lot further than just compensation. Oh, absolutely. And it's the magic ingredient. I think it's the magic ingredient. It's the pixie dust that you need to sprinkle on your own corporate culture is the way in which you appreciate people. Yes. And that doesn't need to be one size fits all either. That's I right. think everybody likes to be appreciated in different ways, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, and knowing your own team, knowing what recognition style they prefer. You know, some people don't want the big show. That's right. And some people are um, really into it. And so, you know, really understanding each person's individual needs. Uh, today, actually, you probably know this too, it's Global TA Day. And so, we've been doing a lot of celebratory posts on social and internally, we've recognized each individual on the TA team. And we, as a company, we actually have a lot of folks that come from TA backgrounds because of what we do. And so recognizing all of their contributions, it's pretty fun. Fantastic. Well, happy Global TA Day to you, <laughs> Thank Robin. You. <laughs> of course, I knew that it was Global TA Day. I woke up thinking about that. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So how would you define the culture of your organization, mm -hmm. Seek Out? You know, our CEO actually uh, is someone that we all really look up to and respect, Anup Gupta, and he has created a company where we all are built based on empathy and how we treat each other with respect uh, and and compassion. I, I would say it's unprecedented in my in my career to feel like every day that I. I can make mistakes. I can feel safe to bring up um, ideas, and you know, there's no, there's no hold bar. Um, I think that there's an opportunity uh, for us to continue that trend as we add on more folks. But um, it's how we define ourselves that you know we we work in kindness. That's great, and that's my definition of culture as well, which is basically how you treat people and how people feel they are treated. Right. I think that's the most important part of any corporate culture. Um, I've also come up with these four cornerstones that I think every good culture has, which is inspire. The acronym is IDEA. Mm -hmm. I call it the big idea. Inspire, develop, empower, and appreciate. And if you feel those four things, you're inspired and developed and empowered and appreciated on a daily or weekly basis, then you're probably not looking to, to leave that organization, it sounds like a great place to work. Absolutely. No, you're right. If you get it right, if you can, you know, no one's perfect, but if you can work every day to be, in my opinion, better than the person that you were the day before in terms of doing those things, hopefully, you know, retention isn't as much of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. How much harder do you think it is to build a culture remotely? in the world that we live in today, as opposed to the world of a few years ago, where, you know, most of the time we were going to the office, is it much harder to sort of infuse, you know, something tangible from a cultural perspective? Um, actually, I don't think so. I think that if you can, as you are recruiting, um, find folks that's, that embody those principles, embody those, those values, 
to me, it's no different than if you were working in an office. I mean, it's one of the one of the silver linings of the pandemic that we were able to, you know, pleasantly all be surprised about and gratified and excited about that we can be more fluid in the way we can work in any location, really. But I think that um, a company that does it right embraces the fact that anyone, regardless of where they are, is part of the same team. And I think sometimes, you know, the challenges can be that you know, silos occur if if you don't work at it. And it's, it is a constant working, you know, every day. It's to make sure everyone feels included. And, and the way, well, the culture of your organization is one thing, but the way you communicate that right. culture to the people that you're hiring um, is another thing entirely, isn't it? That's true. How do you go about communicating? Because when you're not bringing people into the office, it's a lot harder to sort of get them to feel and smell and touch the environment and really feel like they could be a part of something. How do you sort of tackle that problem through the remote recruiting process? Sure. Well, I think it starts with recognizing everyone as human. And when you're talking to a candidate and, you know, building good recruiters around you, of course, who also have the same mindset that we're recruiting good humans, it's really about about when you're talking with a candidate, really understanding what's important to them, what makes them happy, what makes them, and even happy is kind of a, a hard thing to use as a, a measuring. But I think, you know, what, what empowers them? What makes them feel like they can be inspired? How does that work for them to, back to your idea, right? What, going through that criteria of, you know, how does, how do they respond to those things? And, you can recruit people based on those ideas that if if people value, which most people do. I mean, I think that it's human to be able to recruit other other good humans. Um, but I think going through not just the skills, but you know what what would it, uh, an environment look like where someone could feel like they could be empowered to do their best work? What does that yeah. mean to them? Yeah, and I think that's a very important part of any recruiting process is understanding and taking the time to really understand what's important to the candidate. That's right. Um, I use this philosophy called SAMS, which is situation, aspirations, motivation, skills. And I think if you, if you don't take the time to do that, right. then how can you possibly reconcile the parts of your culture and the parts of the opportunity that are going to be important to that individual? Because everything, because everyone is different and everyone's going to respond to different aspects of the opportunity. So you've got to go through that process. And it sounds like that's something that you guys do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's part of our DNA. Um, and I think that, you know, some companies are more, it's not about, you're still focused on revenue. You're still focused on the bottom line. You can do this in addition, um, to actually increase your revenue. And, um, I think companies that don't really, that they don't foster this or that they think about just the the skills based recruiting or the skills based assessments um, without considering the whole human uh, there there may be some some more uh, issues with retention from that perspective yeah and they're missing a trick as well because you know I believe in hire for attitude trained for skills now I know you have to have a skills base and an experience base for every role right but I also think you should look beyond that at people who could move very quickly into that seat absolutely um, and people who've been aspiring to be in that role, not just people who 
who might be willing to make a lateral move, which I think is the wrong way to approach the market. Aptitude and potential. Those are my, my cornerstones too. Yep. Yes, indeed. Aptitude and potential, but also hunger. And hunger. Yeah. How hungry you are to, to be successful in that role. And I think sometimes people who are moving into a new role are much hungrier than people who've been there for five or 10 years. For sure. And so for sometimes sure. that's a really good bet. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But of course, you know, that, then you come up against the problem of defensive hiring, whereby hiring managers are concerned about not hiring somebody who hasn't been in a lateral position for a given period of time, because otherwise their head's on the chopping block if things go wrong and you've got to have plausible deniability, right? Sure. You know, as a hiring manager myself, I mean, clearly, you know, there's times when I haven't made the best hiring decisions and there's times when I have. And it's as you continue to get experience um, and take your lumps in a way, uh, the the idea is that in order to help managers recognize when people are diamonds in the rough, as opposed to, you know, the laterals. I mean, maybe there's an opportunity from an organizational design to take on someone who who may have the, the skill set, but how long are they going to be in role before they're ready for the next thing? And and it's a constant struggle. Yeah, it is. And back to candidate experience for a second. Sure. I think that candidate experience, of course, it begins and we'll talk about that in a moment, but it begins with the recruiter, begins Absolutely. with the person who reaches out. And, and I think recruiters these days are trained incredibly well to give a great experience to candidates. But sometimes the problem arises when that person gets thrown mm-hmm. you know, into the lion's den and starts actually interviewing with the hiring managers and the team and the panel. Because they're on a completely different page quite often to the recruiters. The recruiters have a very much a growth mindset around, you know, who might be able to fill this role. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the interviewing panel might have much more definitive, you know, borders within which they're going to interview that individual. And also they might not be as focused, back to our original point, on candidate experience, which is critical if you're going to give yourself a chance to close somebody who might have two or three other offers on the table. Right. Candidate experience is everything. It's king. And I think the the way to make sure that that doesn't happen when you're on different pages is to have a pre-brief meeting um, and talk about what are the goals of this individual loop? How are we looking at this particular candidate as, you know, against the requirements of the job? And make sure that you, you know, you have your hiring manager assigning core competencies so that there's not a lot of repetition and questions. I mean, it's not yeah. just uh, to your point. I mean, we do our, our, we're the ambassadors, you know, we're on the front lines bringing candidates to the table and slates to the table and they're all gold. And so whether they get the job or not, I mean, we can talk about that too, uh, you know, how to how to make sure to, to keep that and preserve that experience. But, um, you know, having a pre-meeting is crucial in order to get everyone on the same page. And I also think the mindset has for a, for the most part has shifted, but in some places it hasn't. And the, the old mindset of recruiting was everybody who comes in here to be interviewed is clearly somebody who desperately wants to work for us. And so we don't have to work very hard being a brand ambassador because our job is to find out if they're good enough. And our job is, you know, to find their faults. Mm -hmm. And I think quite often hiring managers and teams and interview panels are looking to find, you know, the reasons why somebody wouldn't be suitable more than they're looking for the reasons why that person would be suitable. Yeah. But also to add a big layer in that whole experience to 
assume that if this is the right person for the job, we've got to do everything we can to expose what a wonderful place this is to work and what great people we are to work alongside. It's two-way street. And that doesn't come with the mindset of everybody wants to work here. That's it right. It comes with the mindset of everybody we have an opportunity of talking to might want to come and work here right. if we do a good enough job in, in showing them you know, our wonderful culture. And it doesn't matter whether you're in a candidate-driven market or a company-driven market, it's still the candidate's experience and what they're going to experience through through that process. And when you don't have a brand recognition, whether it's a consumer brand or you know, you're an up-and-coming startup, I think a common misconception is when you do have a big consumer brand that you don't have to work as hard. And that's not true. It doesn't matter what your brand is. Uh, you know, I mean, it's important to understand how to promote that brand. But back to that experience, making sure that the candidate does feel whole after every conversation is the key to be able to. Yeah, I like. And I think what you're saying is that a big brand has a much easier time in the initial outreach and attraction of potential candidates. Sure. But then they face exactly the same problems with discerning candidates. That's right. That's about right. whether or not they're the right place to work. But then I think there are companies that sort of operate outside of that sphere as well. You know, the sort of fan companies where everybody would want to work. Right. And I'm not sure what kind of a candidate experience they give. Hopefully it's a good one. Right. Um, but their reputation is so stellar already in terms of the opportunity they offer and the compensation that people would, you know, trip over themselves to work there. Right. I think that, you know, having worked in various bigger box brands, uh, the way that you can influence your hiring leaders regardless still to treat people with that utmost respect and, and dignity, even if there's, uh, you know, some desire on the candidate because of, you know, attracting to your point. I mean, yes, there's there's definitely, uh, you can get a higher volume of, of people interested, but you're still faced with the same challenges of how do you close that candidate and make sure that they're the right that they're going in through it through the right reasons, not just to work because of the brand, but to really understand what the dynamics are behind the scenes to be able to be successful. Yeah. So from a tactical standpoint, mm -hmm. what do you do at Seekout to enhance the candidate experience? What do you and your team do during the entire recruiting process to really enhance the candidate experience? Do you have any specifics on that? Yeah. Yeah. We, I kind of look at it as a white glove. We do the pre-assessment meetings. We make sure everyone's on the same page. We make sure that our hiring leaders have a really clear understanding and, and anyone who's part of an interview loop has an understanding of what the what the role is, what the what the drivers are, what makes someone successful in role. And then designing questions around that. Um, you know, we're definitely happy with our success, but I think there's always improvement. I think there's always you don't ever want to be stagnant in your process. Um you know, it's every candidate, whether, you know, back to whether they get the job or not, you still want to make sure that you stay contacted with that candidate. So it's uh, a philosophy that I have that if a candidate does come in virtually or loop, that you get a personal touch. And that means your recruiter is your agent in a way. Um, you know, they're, they're representatives of the company as well, of course, but that they are guiding that person through the process. And if it's not the right fit, making sure that you still have that personal connection so that you reach out personally and say, you know, it's not about the person, it's about the role. And 
you never know that person could be a good fit for another position down the road, but still carrying through that same white glove, you know, high touch gold star experience. That's nice. That's like having sort of an internal advocate for you whilst you're going through the recruiting process and someone who positions themselves as a trusted sort of ally within the organization yes, and to help guide that candidate through the process, that must feel nice for candidates. I think that's a really good touch. Yeah. Um, you also just touched on another subject that's dear to my heart, which is what I posted about last week on LinkedIn, the biggest missed opportunity for recruiters, which I define as the people you speak with about a role, but who don't end up getting the job. Right. You know, which can be 10 or 15 or even 20 times as many people as do get the job. That's right. What are your thoughts on that? It's incredibly important. It's actually, you know, of course you want to, as a recruiter, close the candidate of choice, but it's how you choose also to make sure when you're giving feedback or that you're coaching uh, candidates through that process, it's actually one of the most important parts of a recruiting life cycle because how you treat those people at the end is going to reflect in their minds how the company is represented, how you are represented, uh, just in general, their overall impressions because, you know, we're human. And so we'll leave with the last impression that we got, right? Yeah, and so exactly. you can you can take a candidate through in a very positive way and also end on a positive way, giving that experience of high touch, not just se- even just sending an email, basically saying, you know, thank you. We moved in a different direction. Uh, love to keep in touch. I mean, that's that's too generic. If you're trying to attract a candidate personally in the beginning from a customized way, from a source, whatever sourcing strategy you have, keep that thread through it so that at the end of it, you still have a personal touch, contact them directly, have a conversation with them, talk about, you know, what their aspirations are. And, you know, it's people don't want to, you know, deliver bad news, but you can do feedback in a way that feels very authentic to them and still maintains that personal touch and, and keeps their, you know, back to keeping candidates whole. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the moment when you have to tell a candidate that maybe they're not right for the role, is the big missed opportunity because I think the temptation is to do one of those things that you just mentioned, either send an email or just say, you know, we went in another direction. Thanks a lot for your interest. Whereas what you can do is double down on what that person's actually looking for and go back through your understanding of their aspirations and their motivations so that you really double down on the relationship That's right. and put yourself in a position, you know, where you're basically a trusted advisor within a brand that hasn't chosen necessarily to recruit them today, but you want to keep in touch with them for future because anything could open up. I mean, if they qualify to go through the interview process, there's a lot of good about them and they are going to get a job somewhere else. That's right. But also, if you keep them as an ally in your network and you give them that extra sort of candidate experience at the end of the process, yes. then you may be able to get some great introductions, some referrals, That's right. um, some market information um, that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. So I think looking at every person who comes through the process as a potential add to your network of like real connections yes. is absolutely critical. Otherwise, all of that work you did as a recruiter is wasted if you just let that person go at the end and said, sorry. Well said, well said. Yeah. You know, we, we are dealing with people 
We're not dealing with a product. We're dealing with humans who have feelings. Um, and we've all been on the other side of that as candidates and had experiences. I remind myself of this all the time, you know, what it feels like to be a candidate and going through that experience. And um, it's just really important that you stay true to those values of going through that. I think there's been a, a recent example of a, a machine learner uh, engineer who uh, went through the process a couple months ago and has come back and we've hired. So you could get a lot of good hires later on uh, if you just take the time to do it. Yep. And the hardest part of recruitment is the fact that both ends of the deal can wiggle. The hiring manager can change their mind. That's right. The candidate can change their mind. Yep. I mean, you really have to do an incredible job these days as a recruiter to get all the stars to align. That's and right. The last thing you want to do is to have a candidate go through this process and, you know, feel dejected That's or right. feel like they don't want to work for you or feel like they never would want to work for you in the future, even if you did come back to them. Right. And so I think you have to, you have to have that mindset, make everybody an advocate of your brand, whether they get the job or not. That's right. Make everyone count. Good. Okay. Well, moving on from candidate experience, let's talk a little bit about CCAL because yeah. you actually work for a company, CCAL, which is in the business of sourcing and outreach. That's right. And this is something that we all want to get better at all the time. And mm -hmm. everybody's looking for the next best thing, the next tool, et cetera. Tell me a little bit about CCAL and what you actually do as a company. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to. So CCAL is a company that helps recruiters and hiring leaders and CHROs and, you know, directors of people, any, any relation to, you know, folks that have to look for, for talent um, to do very targeted, very specific searches to unlock talent that you wouldn't ordinarily find. And so a lot of us are, for example, on LinkedIn and we're all seeing the same candidates. And so with this company, has chosen to solve for is how do you find folks that may not even know that there's these opportunities? And you can do very good um, deep analysis on heat maps. If you have a hiring leader who says, I want to find uh, an accountant who has, you know, four years of public accounting and understands this particular market and has, you know, risen to a certain level within public accounting. There's such granular searches you can do. And also from a DEIB perspective, um, you can unlock talent pools that can help you in um, building out diverse sites. So you mentioned LinkedIn Recruiter there, mm -hmm. and and I think a lot of recruiters these days do rely heavily upon the LinkedIn Recruiter platform. Right. How do you find people? Are you telling me that there are people that seek out can find that aren't on LinkedIn Recruiter? Yes, that's correct. And how do you do that? By the, I mean, we call them power filters. So in LinkedIn Recruiter, which we've all used to your point for many, many years, um, you definitely have a, an array of search criteria that you can use uh, to populate your projects. Uh, Seekout takes it a step further. Uh, for example, if you you know want to um, create your um, diverse slate as a recruiter, it's kind of like your action tool kit um, as opposed to you know rolling the dice in a way. Um, and so you can be very targeted in, in terms of like, I want to find um, someone of an underrepresented group who has 
um, just as much a skill set as, um, you know, the folks that you would normally see. And what what is great about it is that you can you can reach out to those folks and um, you have their permission to use their, you know, contact information to reach out. And it's wonderful. I mean, we found a lot of hires through them. So to a certain extent, it overcomes the problem of having to pay for endless amounts of in-mails because it yeah. provides you with all the contact information that you can use to send an email, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does play fair. It's an independent oh, standalone absolutely. platform, is it? It does play fair with LinkedIn because I know some people are worried about using these tools that basically violate the API terms of LinkedIn. Yeah, it's all it's it's definitely playing fair. I think that it's it's just yeah. another arsenal of tools. Yeah. And I mean, you must be doing well because you've grown from 100 people to over 250 people in the last year. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming the adoption of your platform is on the rise significantly, yeah? Yeah, we had our Series C close uh, late last year. We're now valued at $1.2 billion. Um, we're Unicorn we're, country. Yeah, 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 definitely. So you're also platform agnostic, I understand. So you can sort of take those those power filters, or mm-hmm. I'm assuming you can also write your own Boolean. That's right. That's right. And yep. you can apply them to whatever other sourcing platform you want to leverage, whether it's sure. you know GitHub or whether it's LinkedIn or whether it's just Google. You can take these, you can use the tool across any other sort of platform, yeah? Sure, sure. And the, the power filters are quite unique in that Technically, they I've seen paragraphs and <laughs> after paragraph of Boolean to be very, very, very specific. We we work a lot with the healthcare industry. One organization was looking for very specific um, paramedics with very specific um, certifications, and they were able to find them through our tool. Good stuff. Well, it's been great having a conversation with you. Absolutely. Um, I've come up with a new little section here, which are just five rapid fire questions just to show a little bit more about who you are. And the first one is, what do you love most about recruiting? I get the honor of helping people find their dream jobs. Fantastic. Anything you don't like? You know, you're either the hero or or not every day. The villain. (laughs) You're more often the villain. That's the thing about recruiting. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I don't like that. Good answer. Okay, what recent show or film or book can you highly recommend us? You know, it's funny. I, I uh, <laughs> um, there's a book that uh, I just got from. I went to a Madrona Leadership uh, Summit, and it's a it's actually leadership recruiting. Um, and uh, I I will have to get the author. I'm very sorry. Simon Mullins. Si- yeah, there you go, Simon Mullins. I've there read the book, and I interviewed yeah. Simon about it on this podcast. Oh well, there you go. There you go. So, good uh, answer. And so I've been enjoying reading that one. Um, the movie actually, <laughs> that's not related to recruiting, but I just watched, uh, and I'm, I'm late to the party, but the, the new Top Gun Maverick movie. Fantastic. I yeah, really that enjoyed genius. that one. Yeah. Okay. Couple more quick ones here. Who would you most like to have dinner with? Emma Thompson. Fantastic. And if you weren't a recruiter, what would you most like to be? I would like to be a geneticist. Oh, wow. That's a different answer. Well, it's the first answer because it's the first time I've asked these questions. But I've always thought that recruiters, if they didn't want to be, if they weren't a recruiter, would most like to be either um, a talk show host uh, or possibly an actor. Yeah. Yeah, it did cross my mind. Um, I studied to be a geneticist uh, in college uh, and I just want to help 
people. And so this actually marries the concept of being able to help. Fantastic. Well, Robin Thornton from Seekout, thank you so much for joining me today on Recruiting Trailblazers. It's been a pleasure to get to know you and speak with you. And I'm sure we'll stay in touch and speak again soon. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.